Look it up. It's under Socrates. Socrates. The only true wisdom consists in knowing that you know nothing. That's us, dude! Hello everyone, welcome back to some random musings. This will be number 12, roughly for mid-August of 2022. So I was just thinking, and I think one of the overall kind of uh, themes, if you will, running through this, you know, my my reflections on this past school year, particularly at middle school, is one of kind of immaturity in a way. And I was thinking more about, for example, you know, student entitlement, you know, and how I realized, you know, students really just expect to be given the answers because I think partially because they really don't know how to do the work and they don't really want to do the work anyway. And this is especially true, I feel, for middle school, for middle school age kids. You know, how many times literally did I hear, can you just like give us the answers? It's like, no, you have to put the work in and find it, right? So, hey, try reading that article I just gave you. It's only like 900 words long. You know, it's like a page and a half of reading. Oh my God, that's so much. Just give us the answers, you know? It's like the answers are all there right in front of you, right? If I just give you the answers, you're not going to learn anything. So, yeah, there's that, you know, there's that sense of entitlement. And, you know, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that so much of our education system is built up around this idea of direct instruction, right? Lecture. The teacher gets up in front of class and they just talk at you and you sit there and you take notes and the teacher tells you specifically what you're supposed to write. Here's what you have to do and yada, 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 you know. And what's funny about that is because at the beginning of the school year, you know, we were specifically told by the administration, you know, limit your direct instruction, limit your lectures to you know, no more than about 15 minutes, give or take. Why? Because people literally, we say like, you know, chunk out your lesson, right? 10 minutes of this, then 10 minutes of that, and then 10 minutes of the other thing and so on. Because the, the average attention span is not very long, even for adults. So you have to chunk things up. And so a really, really long lecture, especially at the age level that we're talking about, you're going to lose them really fast. So yeah, they just again, developing minds, right? But at the same time, they've been brought up in a school system that where largely they're told exactly what they have to do and exactly what they're supposed to write and yada, yada, yada. And so it's very hard for a lot of them. They're not independent learners yet. And so they just expect everything to just be given to them essentially uh, because they haven't really, they're still kind of starting to develop that sense of individuality. So, you know, they'll change their their pronouns or their names or whatever they go by like every other month or something, you know, oh, now I'm going by this and now I'm going by these pronouns or whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Again, because they're not quite fully integral as a person, right? They haven't had the life experiences and they're still developing in maturity and mental ability and so on and so forth. So it's par for the course in a way. And also got me thinking, getting onto the broader topic of of maturity or immaturity, should I say, the level of immaturity I don't think has really changed. That's just, it's like part of nature, right? But I do feel that the level of disrespect has. So what I mean by that is that maturity isn't a bad thing because it's just an aspect of growing up. And particularly at this age, if we're talking about middle schoolers. Now, when I was uh, teaching English in Japan, my Japanese middle schoolers, I taught at a couple of different Japanese middle schools. Yeah, they're 
basically just as immature as American middle schoolers, believe me, right? You say the words like boobs or penis or sex and like, oh my God, yeah, they, they get excited, right? So it, yeah, it's no different in at least Japanese culture as it is in American culture. They get excited by that same stuff, right? So yeah, um, the immaturity is always there. It's the same across cultures. But the difference is that if you look at something like say an East Asian culture, like Japan, Korea, or China, or whatever, they place immense value on formal education and respect for educators and the people who work in that field. So things like disrespect, truancy, disobedience, uh, so on and so forth, right? That is really, really rare in those cultures and extremely rare when I taught in Japan. Like I can literally recall, I had one student when I was teaching in Japan who would skip classes or literally just skip school, play hooky. One student out of like a couple hundred students that I taught. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, one. Yeah, and, and everybody knew who this student was, but it was just that one student, right? In contrast here in the United States, you know, it's like, oh, we got like, you know, here's the whole population of students who skip class or are frequently in trouble and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's a it's gobs of them, just gobs of them. <laughs> so yeah, it's very different. And also, you know, getting back to it, thinking back to when I was in middle school, I went to a public middle school, right? Kind of at the turn of the millennium uh, was when I was in middle school. So, and I recall being just as immature, right? Looking back on it from today, right? Now that I'm in my 30s, you know, I'm in my mid-30s, and I look back on myself and it's like, yeah, Tim, you were just as stupid back then as any of these kids were. You know, you were no different. You were just as immature, right? But I do feel that the difference was that I do not recall me, myself, or the vast majority of my peers being so disrespectful to our teachers. Like the teacher said something and you did it, right? Uh, I also don't really recall students just shouting out profanities in the middle of class, like we're just throwing out candy or something, right? You wouldn't just be sitting in the middle of class and, you know, someone would just shout out, you know, F this or whatever. No, like that would like elicit gasps from... <laughs> Uh, from me and my classmates, like, oh my god, you know, and all the teachers would know before before the day was over and all that. So that just didn't really happen in my middle school. And now, again, not that we didn't use profanity, but you just wouldn't like shout it out in the middle of class and you wouldn't direct any of it at your teachers. So yeah. Now, you know, of course, that's not to say that I went to this perfect middle school or whatever. No, there were a number of students who I recall who were frequently in trouble, right? How many times did I see, oh, there's that student again. They're getting sent to the office or whatever. Yeah, yes. I recall those types of students when I was in middle school. But I just don't recall so much of the disrespect and disobedience directed at teachers. Now, again, that's not to say that I loved every teacher I had in middle school. On the contrary, some of them were not terribly great. But I wasn't vocal about it to their faces. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I didn't particularly like that teacher, but I still followed their directions. Okay. So I still did the homework and all that. So not every teacher I had was great in middle school or, or in high school or in college or whatever. But, y you know, the difference is like you shut your mouth and you did what you were told. So, yeah. Another thing I got to thinking about is given this, this level of immaturity and the fact that so many of these students are, are, you know, even today are brought up in this idea of lecture, you know, being lectured to. I thought maybe my instructions to students were just too verbose or too eloquent for some of them right? Just the students who constantly didn't get what I wanted them to do. And I thought, am I just using too many words or too many big words or something? Like, I would literally talk to my students as I'm speaking right now, and maybe I'm just being too wordy or something. 
you know? <laughs> I mean, that in the back of my head, you know, subconsciously, there's that idea, like, maybe there's this snobbiness to me or something. It's like, oh, well, you, you children or you little tykes are obviously, uh, you know, subpar in your mental capacity to understand the... <laughs> but yeah, I thought, like, maybe I'm just being too eloquent or something. You know, maybe I just really need to simplify my language for you to understand what I want you to do. So, and, you know, even at that, I would still have to repeat myself a million times to make sure anything gets done. And I always wondered if, like, maybe if I just spoke like an idiot, like a moron, then maybe my students would be able to follow my instructions better. Like, do this and just add in more grunts and, you know, like, smash, kill, destroy. Yeah. So, indeed. And I've wondered that as well when I was uh, teaching high school, you know. But in high school, you just do less of it. So, but yeah, again, it's an immaturity thing. I just, maybe I'm just, uh, I need to simplify my instructions drastically. Yeah. So, again, these these kids aren't really independent learners yet. They really don't know. The things that they like change, like, every other week, if not every other month. And so, yeah, just, they need everything just laid out for them, you know, step by step. Going on to a bunch of other frustrations that I've had with this past year. One frustration I had was that there is no alternative middle school in this district where I worked in. Uh, You know, an alternative middle school for students who didn't engage well with the traditional kind of school and classroom academic structure, right? They're not very good at maybe those students who just aren't good at sitting still, aren't good at following directions, aren't good at you know, writing essays and writing paragraphs or sitting still and reading books and things like that, you know, an alternative school would have been really good for them who they can provide them with more hands-on education, more something that's more interactive, right? Something that they can apply themselves better to, more experiential learning, if you will, you know, that's one of the benefits of alternative education. And often it will be a smaller school and with with more supports who can really help those students who really struggle with the more traditional aspects of schooling, as we say, you know? So this lack of alternative middle school for these students, you know, meant that we had a number of students who were constantly in trouble, constantly in detention, and generally just being disruptive for, like, everyone. Not just for me, but they were literally disrupt the entire class. Like, I would have to stop the class and deal with whatever their problem was, you know? So, and that just got incredibly annoying, you know? And... Just some of these students were so disrespectful and so wayward, despite whatever supports that as a staff, you know, as a school, we tried to give them, you know. So, for example, I would get instructions, like practically a half a page of instructions concerning maybe a specific student, you know, things like don't let them do this, don't let them do that, make sure they do this, check up with them on that, you know, they would have a little like sign in, sign out. Uh, little trackers, you know, it's like, oh, you need to sign this, you know, how did they do with following directions today? And how did the student do with, um, you know, getting work done? And how did the student do with communicating with you and all, you know, so we'd have to like these little sign in sign out sheets with them, you know, or something like, uh, don't let the student leave the room for any reason, right? They, even if they say like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom, or I need to get a drink of water, or whatever. No, do not let them leave the room because they will just wander the halls and skip class and start smoking or vaping in the bathrooms or whatever, you know, call the office if X, Y, and Z happens or whatever, you know, so I would get like, you know, just a bunch of different instructions for all these different students, right? These types of students would literally just get up and in the middle of class and just walk out. They're like, you know, uh, F this class, uh, uh, F in this, F in that, uh, uh, and suddenly they just storm out of classroom. It's like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, hey, 
Where are you going? Come on back to class, please. Come on, come on back in. You don't have to sit next to that person. Just take a seat, put your head down or whatever, and they'll be like, hey, F you. So yeah, that's the response I would kind of get from them, right? So it's like, I'm not going to chase after them, whatever, you know, so uh, well, got to call the office. <laughs> like I mentioned, you know, smoking or vaping, drug use with some of these kids was an issue. Somewhat ironically, some of the only times they were uh, nice to me, quote unquote, or nice to anyone <laughs> for that matter, was probably when they were high. Yeah. And you can kind of tell when they were high because they acted all like spacey, you know, or they were literally just come in and put their heads down and sleep during class. And that was like the least disruptive they would ever be. <laughs> so uh, I, will, I will quote the late, great, hilarious Robin Williams. You may be many things when you are high, but you are not, uh, you know, mentally empowered or whatever to kind of paraphrase him. So yeah. And by the way, kids, and I mentioned this, you know, many times is marijuana pot has a real distinctive smell and believe me you don't need a drug sniffing dog to be able to tell it's on you or in your bag or you just you know you've blazed a joint or something no i can smell it you know no amount of axe body spray which is already disgusting is going to cover up the scent yeah i can smell it yep hmm yep i've had numerous times where like an administrator would come into my class and they would pull out you know oh that particular student because they would need to search their bag or something. So yeah, uh, vape pens. A lot of students were, or I don't know about a lot of students, but some students were into vaping. And vape pens have a kind of a peculiar kind of fruity or sometimes minty smell. It, it kind of differs a little bit. But if you notice that a student is all of a sudden really, really thirsty, and they have not been eating like a ton of Cheetos or chips or salty foods, and yeah, explanation could be that they've been uh, using some drugs. So but anyway, I was definitely not alone in my frustration with some of these students. And just in talking with other teachers, you know, their sentiments were pretty much identical to mine, you know? Like, yeah, we would get all these instructions about this student and that student and the other student, you know? And it's like, oh, here's a high-flying student, you know, want to be careful, watch out for this, here's their triggers, you know, this is their behavior support plan and so on and whatnot, you know? And we would have a bunch of these and, you know, you have a big folder of this is what you need to look out for this student and that student and so on. And even at that, you know, you would also come to understand, you know, what their home life was like. And a lot of these students come from really screwed up home lives, right? Abuse, divorce, drug use, gang violence, and so on and so forth. You know, whatever the reason is, you know, some of these students have really messed up home lives. And so understanding those types of things gives you contextualization, right? And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's why they act out the way they do. But that being said, you know, at the same time, like, you know, you try to be understanding, you try to be polite, and you try to be compassionate and firm and fair with these students. But time and again, it's like they've thrown our courtesy right back in our faces. And so eventually you get to the point where you're just like, I'm just gonna put my foot down and I'm gonna be the biggest jerk, you know, and no, I'm not gonna let you do that. I don't care if you're, you feel like you're dying, you know, I don't care if you scream at me and swear at me or whatever. No, you are not leaving this room or, you know, so on and whatnot or whatever, you know? So it's like, ah. Like, despite all the contextualization for understanding this student, it just gets to a point where you run out of sympathy and compassion for them. You know, it's just like, oh, you fatigued that part of me out. Like, I'm done with your attitude. I'm done with your foul language. I'm done with you disrespecting not only me, but everyone else in this class. I'm done with you. You're harassing and bothering other people. You've, like, used up all of your grace, all of your sympathy with me. So, yeah, here's what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, every time it's like, and and some of these students, it got it got to the point where you know I 
like literally the parent, I would call up the parent and say like, hey, you know, your child has done this or that again, you know? And so, yeah, they, they, and literally the parent would just be like, hey, just give them the referral. I'm like, okay, you know? So yeah, I would frequently be handing out referrals, behavior referrals to some of these students, you know? It's like, hey, I'm no skin off my butt, you know? Ugh, yeah. And that's, I guess that's just, it's so frustrating, you know, because you want to help these students. But it's just, once you've reached that point where they've run out of, you know, you've run out of sympathy and compassion for them. It's like, well, there's not a whole lot I can do. You know, I've tried to help you. I've, I'm doing as much as I know how, right? And all these other people in the school are also trying to help you. And we're talking with you and we're trying to be, you know, firm and fair and just like, hey, I'll give it to you straight. This is what needs to get done and whatever, you know, and you're telling me this and that and, you know, but yeah, it's like, ugh. point, it's like, oh man, I just have to like tolerate them until the end of the year or where, whenever. So uh, how some of these students you know are not in bigger trouble say like with uh, law enforcement is beyond me or some of them i think perhaps are right so like i can easily see some of these students headed for juvie further on down the road if they don't start turning things around but i don't know maybe they're exercising just enough of their brains to stay out of real serious trouble but some of the stories i've heard it's like yeah in another jurisdiction uh you might be in juvie sonny yeah so i mean just frankly put, being honest here, some of these kids were little punks. Bro, you're headed for a, a rough time ahead of you in the future, wherever that may be. Yeah. So <laughs> just like, yep, yeah, you'll understand when you're older, one of these things, you know, one of those types of things. So anyway, thankfully, these types of students that exhibit these types of disruptive behaviors and this, this outright defiance of authority were thankfully in the minority, right? But the problem is, of course, that the reach of their immaturity is just far beyond themselves, right? It affects others. And that's really the issue. Like I said, immaturity, like most of these students are very immature. That's just par for the course. That's just natural. But these students take it to another level. They crank it up to 11, so to speak. And, they, and their immaturity, their foolishness, they're just acting the fool or whatever, you know, it it affects other people. And that's when it really becomes a problem. So I'm hoping that a lot of these misbehaviors really are just the result of them being immature. I remember middle school, like I said, and how much it sucked. It was not very fun. There's nothing new there. You're entering puberty and you got a hormone cocktail flowing through your veins. And every day is just, you know, every little problem for these students is just this big dramatic meltdown or something, you know, it's like, this, this person broke up with me. And, you know, everything is just the end of the world for them, you know, but that's middle school for you, you know, <laughs> everything's a meltdown. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm hoping that a lot of these students will grow out of that, you know, once you get up into high school, and hopefully you graduate, and hopefully, you know, maybe you'll do something else, go into the workforce, or go into the military, or go to college, or whatever, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll have dropped that little punk attitude you got by the time you get up to at least high school, you know. I mean, I have seen a number of incoming high school freshmen who were pretty rough around the edges when I first met them. It's like, you know, how old are you? You know, it's like, oh, I'm, you know, 15 or whatever, you know, and you're high school freshmen, you know, and I've seen them through the years go growing up. And they, you know, by the time they're high school seniors and they're about to graduate, like, man, you have grown up so much and you've matured so much. So definitely, you know, the, these students can do it. So I'm hoping that a lot of these middle schoolers will just grow out of this crap and, you know, it's like, hey, you, I can say that, hey, you're not headed for juvie or prison in the future. And you've like turned things around and gotten your stuff together. So there's that. Another frustrating feature of this past school year was the seeming lack of consequences 
for a lot of these things. Um, like students would get sent to the office and they would just get a talk from an administrator and they would get a granola bar and they would get sent back to the classroom. Unless their infraction, whatever reason they were sent for to the office in the first place for, was particularly severe. But, you know, nine times out of ten, they ended up back in the classroom, you know, with a granola bar or something. It's like, what? Yeah, and the behavior would just start up again, you know. And look, restorative justice is great. But even restorative justice, I feel, needs to be backed up with consequences and more importantly, with follow through. You know, you can't just always get off scot-free and expect everyone to instantly change their behavior. You know, again, even with that contextualization and understanding what the cause of this behavior is, you know, the real world out there has consequences and some people need to learn how to start facing those consequences and we need to follow through and it's like, hey, are you actually changing your behavior? Have you started to improve? Some students do. Some students need more work. So there's that. Uh, like I said, things like, you know, smartphones, the general just kind of collapse of systems, of disciplinary measures, the pandemic, the failed experiment that was comprehensive distance learning, lacks societal standards, and so on and whatnot. It just... Man, it makes me worried. I think we're just going to see even more educational deficits further on down the road, in addition to what we are already seeing. So, I mean, like, for example, kids these days, you know, kids these days, you know, kids these days, you know, it's like they have no attention span. They need to constantly be coddled and they're anxious about everything. You know, they lack social skills. They lack empathy and so on and so forth, right? Simple things like, you know, they don't know how to write a simple sentence. They don't know how to read a non-digital clock. They have to be told what to write down word for word. They don't know how to meet deadlines or keep a planner, you know, write basic emails and things like that. How many times did I get the entire email in like the subject line? Like, oh, hey, you know, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, can you get, can you check my grade because my grade is an F and I need to get up at least a C before my parents will, you know, or else my parents won't let me play football. So can you check my grade and at least give me an A? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> me and many other teachers would literally get like the entire email and just the subject line. It's like, do you know how to write an email or basic correspondence? Dear Mr. Or Mrs. So-and-so, you know, comma, you know, hit enter, you know, go. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, they, they don't bother to read the instructions. They can't do basic arithmetic or yeah, things like that. Uh, they can't sit still for longer than five minutes. They think a thousand words, you know, about two pages of reading is too much reading, right? It takes students an extended period of time to do like simple things. Like I would tell you like, okay, get out your Chromebooks, you know, it would take an adult a minute or two to, you know, take out your laptop, open it up and log on, you know, for these students, it would take like five or more minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> things that, uh, you know, you could do in just like a couple of minutes would take these students like three times as long. So yeah, it's just, I'm worried that we're creating just, you know, for lack of a better term, we're creating a generation of Karens, an entitled bunch of people who can't constructively solve their own problems and just, you know, learn to face the consequences. They think the world will just endlessly accommodate them, you know, and every time they face adversity, they run off to mommy or daddy who's going to come and fix it for them. It's like, oh God, you know. I guess it would have been nice uh, when I was their age, when I was in middle school, it would have been nice if uh, I could just get up and leave class, you know, whenever I wanted to take 45 minute bathroom breaks, wander the halls, swear and cuss at teachers, you know, if I didn't like them, do whatever, just because I felt like it, you know, eh, yeah, would have been nice if I could have done that, you know, but I didn't. Those who did when I was their age got in trouble. 
pretty serious trouble. It's just, I see a lot of students these days just not being held very accountable for their actions, whether from the school, from their parents, from society, whatever, right? It's just, we've lost a lot of accountability, I think. And it's really, really frustrating, that lack of consequences. Another frustration we really had this year, in addition to a lot of the kind of the mid-year resignations with the teachers, was we had a gradual loss of a number of support staff. You know, these are people in like classified staff positions, not teachers, but they work in support positions. You know, they're like behavior support specialists, uh, people who work in like uh, special education and so on and so forth, you know, who are there to help, you know, specific group of students or, you know, are, are specifically there for some reason, you know. So we lost a good number of our support staff uh, this year, and that really really hurt a lot of us, you know? Like I had a person who I could literally call up and say like, hey, can I'm having trouble with this one student. Can you come down and have a talk with them, you know, man to man, so to speak, you know? And they would come on down and pull this student out of class for just a few minutes, you know? And it's like, hey, give them the talk or whatever, send them back and things would be a lot smoother. I didn't have to get into this big power struggle or confrontation or, you know, I didn't have to like stop class for very long anyway. To, you know, I could get some help. And, you know, I didn't have to like write a bunch of referrals, you know, but by the end of the year, we had lost a lot of our support staff, you know, in those types of areas. And so we got to the point where our school was like understaffed and under supported. And literally, I couldn't get much behavior support in my classroom at the end of the year. And that was really, really frustrating to me, you know, not to mention that that also every day, the secretaries would publish an email list of everyone who was gone that day. And like, there would be like a spreadsheet, you know, oh, sign up if you can cover this person for this period or that person for that period or whatever, you know? So, I mean, teachers are already overworked and like, we are desperate for more time to try and get work done. And so we kind of, it'd be kind of nice if I had my prep period, but now I got to give up my prep period so I can cover for this person or that teacher or whoever. There were days when we had like a, a dozen, sometimes more staff out for the day. This many staff are out, you know, who can cover for them? Oh my gosh, yeah, it was nuts. All right, so moving on to a couple of other lessons learned. I think one thing that this year did was it really reinforced a, a different perspective, so to speak, and understand that a lot of my perspective on people of this age group, of course, stems from the fact of how I grew up, okay? I'm Japanese American myself, so when I was growing up, education was always highly stressed, you know, go to school, pay attention in class, listen to the teacher, follow their instructions, do your homework, and, you know, get good grades and all that stuff, you know? So I come from a pretty privileged background. I have a very, like, suburban, kind of middle-class slash upper-middle-class upbringing. That's basically the life that I grew up in, right? My family is, like, full of medical professionals. They all have high levels of ed education and professional degrees, okay? So I, I was not a uh, first-generation college student, you know. It was pretty much understood when I was growing up, like, yeah, Tim, you're going to go to college. And that's what I did. So, you know, you may not want to become a doctor or anything like that. You may not want to go into medicine, but you're going to get a good education. And subsequently, because of the area in which I grew up in, it was very suburban, very middle class, you know, the schools, although I went to public schools, not fancy private schools, but I went to public schools, but they still, the schools I went to, you know, my elementary school, my junior high school, my middle school, my uh, high school, you know, it, they served a very middle class suburban population. And they were generally considered better than average for the district that I grew up in. 
Now, you know, in other words, none of them have the reputation as being like the bad school, you know, the, the dumping ground or whatever you want to call it. So I, I went to some pretty decent public schools, you know, I didn't go to like, you know, private boarding schools, you know, didn't attend Harvard or Stanford or Yale or whatever. No, but, um, but you know, some decent public schools. Yeah. And that's the life that I grew up in, you know, again, very privileged, you know, again, it, it influences my thinking. So in contrast, you know, the middle school that I taught at serves a fairly working class and low socioeconomic status population. So what you have is a lot of students and families who don't necessarily engage as readily with the academic aspects of school. I mean, I encountered a good number of my students is like, oh, I'm never going to college. I'm just going to like go to trade school or, you know, or do whatever, you know. So yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm like, hey, that's fine. No problem with that. You know, and a lot of those trades make pretty good money. But here's the thing, like, it doesn't mean you can just like disregard all all of your learning. There is a point to school, right? <laughs> there is some value in it, even if you're not going to like be a doctor or a lawyer or make a bazillion dollars, you know, a year or something like that. So yeah, it's just, uh. but anyway, there was definitely more of a uh, working class kind of vibe with the student population there. And again, a lot of it comes from their families. Now, I guess it should be noted, and I've also been advised by a number of teachers that my experience particularly with my middle school that I taught at, is not representative of all middle schools. And this year, or I should say this past year, you know, 2021 to 2022, that past school year was not representative of prior school years. Even within the district that I taught in, other middle school teachers whom we regularly met with to discuss things like curriculum and all that, they had very different experiences. Some of those teachers had great experience and others not so much, right? One middle school that I heard of was like practically being destroyed by the students. How many times the tech person get a bunch of Chromebooks in every week that had just been just thrashed by the students, you know, or this and that is just broken and whatever at the school. So on the other hand, I was always a little bit amused when other teachers from middle schools that served more middle class or more wealthy populations were talking about, ooh, how engaged their students were with the, this awesome, wonderful curriculum and whatever. You know, like, oh yeah, and I get, you know, 90% of my students are getting their work turned in and on time and they say they love what we're learning and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, that's, that, it must be great working at your middle school. Um, yeah, my students are very vocal about how boring they find it. And I'm lucky if like, I don't know, 60% get their work turned in on time. Yeah, they're not terribly engaged with a lot of this stuff. So, but obviously in your case, it's it's wonderful and your students love it. So yeah, I guess at the upshot, you know, my students aren't destroying the school, but they are breaking quite a bit of stuff and they're, the place looks like a dump in some ways. But anyway, <laughs> uh, by some counts, I think, you know, a lot of these frustrations just really built up. And I think by the end of the year, I hear I hear different numbers, but by the end of this past school year, some 50 to 70 or one number I even heard 75% of the staff turned over. Yeah. And of course, I was one of them. So hmm. then again, I've also heard of schools out there having like 90% annual turnover, which is crazy. But I mean, still like, you know, 50% or more of the staff turning over, that's pretty significant. But again, it's just it, it goes to show like, man, how exhausting and tiresome this past year was for so many teachers, uh, not just within my school, but within the country. And it's just a lot of them were just saying like, I'm fed up, I'm not going to do this anymore. So, or, or I'm going to transition, find something else in education to do. So yeah, it's just, you know, really frustrating. And 
you know, we, we tend to think about, I think if you don't work in education and all the only experience you really have in education is what you were brought up in, you know, we, we tend to think of education as some kind of big altruistic and monolithic institution. But in reality, when you actually work in education, you find out that there is a ton of politics in it and there's a lot of toxicity that's involved, you know, in who gets what and who can do this and that and the other, right? And so much of it really depends on the state, the budget, the district, the school. Every place is slightly different. Not every single teacher in this country agrees on the exact same thing, you know. Some schools are awesome at where the morale is like super high and great. And some schools are a total train wreck and they have just crazy turnover every year. Anyway, the problems can be multifaceted. Maybe it's the administration. Maybe it's a couple of, I don't know, feuding departments. You know, the math teachers want this, but the science teachers want that. And, you know, cue the interdepartmental drama. Yes, I've heard of, you know, a good amount of, of interdepartmental drama at some schools. You know, like, oh, steer clear, you know, uh, that social studies department at that school ain't doing too well. You know, the teachers fight with each other and all that, you know, not literally, you know, but they argue and there's lots of silly, you know, hijinks and drama or whatever. So I've heard stories at some schools, you know, eh, avoid that school. That school's good. That school's not bad, but avoid that school, you know. And it's just the pandemic has caused so many of our systems that previously worked to completely collapsed. And not only that, the pandemic exposed a lot of issues related to, um, I guess, kind of substand that were substandard previously. We knew about them, but now it's like it's out in the open for everyone to see. And these are issues like, you know, mental health, uh, student support, staffing, low salaries, student behaviors and management and, and so on and so forth. And, and again, like many of these problems I had and that I saw were not exclusive to me or my situation, but to so many other teachers. They've, they've got the exact same issues. These problems aren't exclusive to my school, to my district, to my state. And furthermore, these problems are not new either. People who study this say that these, these basic problems have been building up for a good like 15 or 20 years, give or take, you know, since like the early 2000s. You know, and these are things like teachers are underpaid, low salaries, we're undersupported, we're underappreciated, underrespected. And like I said, you know, when I see veteran teachers who've been doing this for some time and they're headed for the doors, that's a bit of a red flag to me. And given these problems that we're seeing now, it's like no wonder teachers are leaving the profession in droves, resigning mid-year, choosing early retirement just to, to get out. You know, it's like, oh, I can't stand this anymore. Where's the door? I'm jumping ship. I can't do this. You know, good riddance, you know. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of at a, mentally, we're just so overtaxed. You know, that's what being a teacher is. You're just stressed out constantly. So we're anticipating a coming shortage of teachers and support staff because fewer and fewer people are entering the education profession every year. Enrollment is down for teacher training programs. We're in desperate need of, of people for special education and, and so on and whatnot. Yeah, it's just, I think people hear about all these problems in education. And they're well aware. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, no, why would I become a teacher? Or why would I go into education? It sounds like it really sucks. You, you don't get paid a whole lot. You know, I mean, nobody's really expecting to get rich off this job. But that being said, you know, even at that, even for our education and experience level, most teachers are essentially underpaid. For the level of education that you got and for what training you have, it's like you should be making more, you know, <laughs> even in the public sector. So a lot of teachers, you know, they're headed for the door because they can find that they can get better paying work out there for far less stress, right? 
So, you know, what's it like to be a teacher? Well, you're overworked, you're undercompensated, you're constantly disrespected by pretty much everybody. The only people I'm not disrespected by are people who have this thing called respect for others, you know, or usually the uh, parents are, have some involvement in education. Like, oh, I used to be a teacher myself. I know what it's like to, you know, to be in your shoes, you know, oh, oh, my sister or my brother or my cousin or something, you know, they have a relative or someone who's in education. So they know what it's like. Yeah. But it's just the, the disrespect that you get, you know, it's like, yeah, those who can't do teach and that silly, stupid saying and all that. So yeah, you're dragging work home with you every single weekend. You know, you're exhausted by the end of the day. You know, um, you're disrespected. You got stuff thrown, you get stuff thrown at you. You get sworn and cussed at by students, yelled at by the parents. You'll be lucky if you get a good administrator who will pay attention to you. And yeah, so it's crazy. But in the meantime, of course, we're throwing silly little platitudes at the wall and listening to dumb motivational speeches when, you know, there really needs to be just a major turnaround in education. It's happening across all levels of education from elementary to high school. You know, so thank God I'm not the only one, but I guess that provides a limited amount of comfort, you know, knowing that, okay, I'm not the only one. But having people people to commiserate with at the end of the, end of the day still does not solve the underlying issues. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, you're underpaid and you're stressed. Hey, I'm underpaid and I'm stressed out too. And, you know, I'm disrespected by this person and that person and the other person. And so are you. And so it's like, yeah, we get it. You know, we're there. We've been in those shoes, but that doesn't solve the problem though, right? So, okay, what are we going to do about it? How do we start turning this thing around? And that's, I think, something that I really, really want for the United States as a whole. There just needs to be a big change in mindset with respect to the value of education and the work that schools and educators do. Like practically, we need to do like a 180. It's like, I would love for people to start respecting me more as an educator and respecting the profession and education as a whole, the field of education as a whole. Now, maybe not to the extent of say like, you know, uh, a Japan or whatever, certain cultures like that, you know, but you know, I don't need you to like hold it high on this great, you know, wonderful shining pedestal, but just a little more respect thrown our way would be nice. Yeah. Sadly, I think that's kind of a fantasy. And it's not really going to happen anytime soon. I think it's still very much kind of a case-by-case -case basis. You know, again, you'll run into those people who do really value education. Like, yeah, we know you're tired and thank you for all you do. And, you know, it's like, okay, great. You know, I appreciate that. I appreciate your respect. And, you know, and yeah, you know, you know what we're going through. And, you know, but like, that's still like in the minority. Yeah, I, I did have some real great parents that, you know, really knew and what we were going through and really sympathized with us. It's like, yeah, I, I great. You know, I appreciate your support, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you're a couple of parents or whatever out of like a couple hundred still in the minority. So I think there just needs to be this big, just 180 of a change in mindset, you know, in the United States with how we view education. And it really starts with just having more respect for people who do this. But sadly, I don't think that's really going to happen. There's just too much, you know, cultural and institutional inertia. We're not going to see a massive bump up in our salaries overnight. We're not going to see this massive change in the level of respect happen overnight. You know, students are all of a sudden going to like be brilliant learners overnight. My point is like, it's not going to change just like that. You know, it's going to take time if there is going to be change. But uh, yeah, it's frustrating because it's a marathon and it takes concerted effort from a lot of people to make that change happen. So there's no quick and easy fix for it. And it, it's, 
it needs to be addressed on multiple levels from multiple perspectives. And there are many, many different factors that need to be addressed before anything significant is going to happen. But it's just, it's, there's so much inertia in it. So anyway, that's my uh, two pennies <laughs> on that. But yeah, it would just be nice to, you know, to see a bit more respect thrown my way for starters. That would be cool. Yeah. I mean, it was tough. Yes. And I certainly didn't enjoy it. But that being said, I never really broke down in tears because of the stress. I've heard a lot of stories of that happening. You know, people like driving to work and they're just crying in their car, you know, or they're just, they, they go home at the end of the day and they're just sitting in their car, just, you know, sobbing. You're like, oh my God, I hate this. You know, I'm never, I'm a terrible teacher. And yeah, that, that never really happened. I never broke down to the point of tears. But, you know, that being said, I, I did get very frustrated and stressed out at times, so I'm, I'm not immune to it. I guess one more thing I did neglect to mention, and this will get me into some more of the good stuff about this past year, is that I, I forgot to mention that I also had a really, really good mentor that was assigned to me. You know, as a, a new teacher in the district, uh, I had a, a mentor assigned to me, and they gave me a lot of really great professional advice. Although, <laughs> at the end of this year, they actually retired. They went into retirement and they went off to like start their own business or something. So I think even they left uh, the field of education, of public education. But anyway, I had a really great mentor, you know, a very experienced teacher who has seen and done it all, um, who gave me a lot of really great advice, potential way forward. But uh, alas, they even they are leaving the business, so to speak, to start their own business. <laughs> anyway, so I've talked a lot of, for the past, you know, couple of episodes about like, oh, how much this past year sucked. And, uh, you know, it's like, you maybe you're probably asking like, why don't you just quit early? Just leave. And yeah, I guess I could have, you know, I could have resigned mid-year like a number of other people. You know, I could have just quit and left, but I wasn't ready to do that. And I'm still not ready to leave education because I do feel that there is value in sticking with it. Because simply put, I'm not a quitter. I don't like quitting. I put a lot of money and time into this endeavor, and I really want to make it work. But I've got to find that that right place for me, so to speak. So I, I told myself multiple times, like, hey, I'm going to stick it out to the end of this school year, because I can make it there. You know, I may be stressed, and I'm tired, and I'm exhausted. And some of these students I really don't, you know, get along with, but I think I'll make it to the end of the year. So that was my goal. And that's what I did. So I, I told myself no, right? Because other people here do need me. There are students here who do want to learn and who do appreciate me being here. So in spite of all the bad things, right, I told myself, you know what, I'm going to stick it out, push through, even if I have to step on some toes to do it. I'm going to make it through this year. And that's what I did. Like I said, in terms of the good stuff, I was really lucky to have a great boss, a great administrator who really supported me, who gave me a lot of constructive feedback. Hey, Tim, work on this. Try doing this, that, and the other. And if that doesn't work, here, here's some other pointers and tips you can try and things you can do. You know, I had a great boss who really understood me and who was always supportive. You know, I had a really great union rep who was also very supportive of me and who gave me a lot of tips like, hey, you know, here's a lesson you can try. Here's something you can do. Here's an activity you can try. You know, hey, here's what you can do in this situation and that situation. So I had both a great boss and a great union rep. My colleagues were extremely supportive and I knew that I wasn't the only one going through these problems because we all were going through the same problems. So the, the staff at the school that I worked at, my colleagues and all that were very supportive. I had some wonderful, funny, and incredibly creative students. 
to describe a couple of them. Like I had a student who was working on this big, like uh, fiction, like they enjoyed writing and they were writing like this big story about like elves or something, some like a group of elves living in the, the, this magical forest or whatever. So they were writing this fiction, right? So I'm like, cool, great. I mean, it helps the course that they were a really good student academically. They always got in all their homework and it was by and large, very good quality. But even at that, when they weren't doing their work, they were doing something interesting and productive and creative and their thing was writing, right? Oh, I'm writing a story about this group of elves in the forest. I'm like, cool, awesome. Yeah, I had another student who loved Disney. Like this girl loved anything Disney. Disney princesses, princes, you know, the movies and the characters and all that stuff. She could talk all day about pr- about Disney stuff. Like, hey, great, you're passionate about something. You know, I had some nerdy students, you know, the nerds, you know, who loved like talking about, you know, video games and things like that. And not only that, but they loved like the, the deeper aspects of like video games. One student was even into kind of designing basic games. And some students even were into like, you know, uh, role-playing games, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, D&D, that sort of stuff. You're like, hey, cool, that's awesome, you know? Why? Because they're passionate about something, these students, right? They're creative. They do something that's productive. Even if it isn't directly related to their homework, you're still doing something interesting because you're not bothering anyone else. If you want to sit there and draw and color and sketch in your sketchbook or write your fan fiction or whatever, or learn about Disney movies or, you know, hey, that's cool. I'm, I'm fine with that. Why? Because you're not bugging other people. You're not disrupting the class. And more often than not, you're doing something creative. So yeah, I've had high school students similarly who have other types of interests. You know, I had one high school student one time a couple years ago who was a really cool artist. They had this sketchbook and they would come in like to class every day and they'd be like, hey, can I just go run real quick and grab some water? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And they had these, uh, those watercolor markers, you know, where you dip the marker in water and it becomes like a, almost like a watercolor brush. So they would create pieces of artwork like that. Another funny thing is that they would sketch. (laughs) Here's what was hilarious. They would make these very intricate sketches of what I can only describe as sexy demons. Yes, let me say that again. They drew sexy demons. Let me explain. (laughs) So we're in class one day and I look over the shoulder of the student and I notice they're drawing these um, rather well-endowed female figures in like sexy lingerie and stuff like that. Yeah. But then I also noticed that this female figure has horns and a little pointy tail. And I'm like, I told this to him like, am I seriously looking at a demon in lingerie? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like, hey, well, hey. And it wasn't pornographic or anything. Like, hey, cool. You know, it's a, yeah, I knew this student was an artist and they were very artistically inclined, but like, it was just so kind of peculiar. It's like, Oh, well, of all the things to draw, they draw sexy demons. Sure, why not? You know, again, it was something productive, you know. I had another student who was really good with making clay figurines. And I'm not talking about like, oh, they made like a little stick figure out of clay. No, like they would bring like, uh, you know, clay and, you know, some like little tools for sculpting and molding clay with them to class. And they would literally make this clay figurine. And it was really good. I'm like, whoa, (laughs) this kid's got talent. So yeah, I had a couple of high schoolers who are very artistically inclined like that, you know? Then, of course, you got the various other kind of weird, but, you know, funny and humorous students. And speaking of which, you know, you know, talking about kind of the funny and the weird students, and maybe even like the nerdy or the geeky students or whatever, you know, uh, things have changed. But 
at the end of the day, I think what really matters a lot to how well the students pay attention to you is what kind of relationship you can build up with the students as the school year goes on, you know, how well you can relate to them. And in some ways, I think, particularly at my age, and just what I'm used to and kind of accustomed to, I found it pretty difficult to kind of relate to, you know, this age group of students. I think that was a bit of a hindrance. Now, some students I did develop, managed to develop a fairly decent relationship with and that I thought, you know, I thought like, oh, like they have a good sense of humor, or maybe like I can like kind of appeal to their sarcasm or whatever. So some students I certainly did get along with pretty well. And we were able to joke and, you know, have fun. And I enjoyed, you know, teaching them. And of course, for those types of students who you have that good relationship with, you can get through to them far more easily. That being said, there are, as you know, I'm sure you can imagine many students or some number of students who you simply will not get through to. And for whatever reason, you just don't have a very good relationship with, you know, maybe they don't like you, maybe they don't like your class, maybe they think you're boring or stupid or whatever, you know, and there were a number of students who no doubt thought far less of me for any number of reasons, you know, for whatever reason, we just weren't able to get, you know, through with a decent relationship, so to speak, you know, we didn't have very good rapport. So, and, you know, in spite of all my effort, you know, it's just, it just didn't work out, you know, and that's, that's just life, right? You know, you're not going to agree or like every person on the planet that you meet. That's just the way life is, you know? So that's kind of, kind of how it is similarly in school. I did have one student who I can speak very highly of, and this was somewhat something of a unique student, I should say, unique in their situation, because this particular student was from Ukraine. So one day, it was like in, I think it was like in April, if I recall, I get this new student in class, and gosh, you know, it's like, oh man, I keep getting these new students, new students, you know, so anyway, in April, I think it was, I get this new student in my class. He comes in. I'm like, oh, you know, his English is somewhat limited. I think he, you know, as with many English speakers, English language learners, they probably understand more than they speak. But, you know, this kid is not Latino. And I'm like, huh. So I'm like, okay, where are you from? And he's like, Ukraine. I'm like, whoa, okay. Are you new to the United States? He's like, yes. I'm like, all right. When did you come to the United States? Oh, just a few months ago. Really? So now... You know, I'm sure many of you are aware that there's a little conflict happening in the Ukraine right now. So, yes, uh, I'm very much aware of that. I don't follow it super closely, but I'm at least aware that, of, that there's a war going on in the Ukraine. So I don't know if this student is directly fleeing from it and if he's a refugee or maybe he has family over here in the United States. That, who knows? I don't know. I did not dig any further into his personal life and situation, so I didn't really know. But needless to say, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm like, okay, well, thank you for being here and all that. So as far as I know, he has essentially fled his country in the wake of the Russian invasion. And now he's living in the United States. So yeah, there's that. But anyway, um, this was a very good student. He's really smart. He's a very smart kid. Every assignment that I ever handed him, he got it done very well. And he asked questions whenever he was confused. So yeah. Maybe it's just cultural or whatever, or maybe just he was just simply a good student. I mean, he was. He is a good student. So yeah, I always appreciated him. I always said hi to him in the hallways. He was always very polite, very respectful to me. So yeah, I had zero problems with this student. Um, of course, there was a bit of a language barrier due to his somewhat limited English. But yeah, I never had any behavior problems with this student. And 
Again, I'm just kind of conjecturing here, just going out on a limb, but I conjecture that wouldn't be too far of a stretch to think that he may have seen some really effed up stuff, you know, if he was indeed fleeing his country due to the war. And so I imagine that whatever assignment or whatever that I throw at him is probably, it's probably nothing compared to some of the stuff he's been through. He doesn't have to worry about artillery and bombs falling on his head, you know, so... There's that. I'm sure that this is just easy, you know, (laughs) compared to some of the things he's had to deal with in his home country. But again, I'm just speculating here. I'm not saying that's what happened. So, but who knows? I don't know. But anyway, really great student, you know, obviously too young to fight in the war. So it was really good to, to have him as a student. I really appreciated that kid. Like I said, very nice, very respectful, always did really great quality work. Anyway, uh, definitely one of the more kind of unique foreign students I've had. Yeah, I've had some others as well, some interesting uh, foreign high school students. But anyway, that's for another time. So to kind of reiterate some of the basic lessons that I've learned throughout this past school year, you know, and the things that I, I've taken away, you know, again, don't take things too personally, even though you will at some point in time. And even though the students take everything personally, pretty much, you know, because they're still kids and they're still developing. But at the end of the day, just do your job as best you can. Try not to take it too personally. Otherwise, you're just pounding your head, yourself over the head with a sledgehammer <laughs> at that point. Embrace yourself. Don't be ashamed of who you are. Look for validation from people who can give you constructive criticism, right? Often you're not alone in your struggles or your frustrations. Believe me, other teachers out there are going through the exact same thing, right? Don't take the advice from those who put you down. And um, don't seek validation from a bunch of kids, right? If that's your sole metric on which you're judging, on which you're evaluating yourself and your performance, uh, it's it's going to be pretty different. So yeah, seek validation from uh, those who can do it professionally. Uh, develop and consistently enforce systems, right? So yeah, students like consistency. They, they do need to be told what to do because in many cases, especially at this age level, at the middle school age level, they simply don't know what to do, even though they claim they do, you know, and yeah, just they need those systems in place in order for things to operate smoothly. So yeah, they expect that consistency, even when they don't like being told what to do. At the end of the day, they it's still necessary for them to live life, you know, and for to have that kind of that sense of consistency and comfort and predictability for them. So even though they'll fight you every step of the way. <laughs> also do your own best, not somebody else's best. In my case, I'm not here to pander to anti-intellectualism. I hold my content to high standards. In fact, you know, just thinking back to like, you know, students who who plagiarize or copy off other people's work, you know, get assignments, two assignments or three assignments in that are handed in. They're all the exact same words, you know, because I, again, I'm not stupid. I know they just copy the answers off each other, you know, and the, the, someone makes the master key and it just goes around and around. And it's like, oh, there, those are the answers for the questions, you know, or oh, students who just, you know, copy and paste, you know, for their essays or whatever, just grab them right off Google and, you know, just oh, control C, control V that sucker. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it's particularly when it comes to plagiarism, you know, it, in fact, plagiarism isn't even a high standard. That's just a standard. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) not accepting plagiarized work, that's just a given, you know? That's like bare minimum right there. It's not even a high standard, you know? (laughs) So anyway, yeah. I'm not here to pander to the idiocracy, if you will, you know? Yeah. So I'm I'm holding myself and my students to high standards, particularly when it comes to the content that I teach. Also, smartphones, right? They are a major problem 
and they're continuing to be a major problem and they are contributing to some very poor social skills and some not so great decision making, particularly when it comes to middle schoolers, also into high school. And I just don't think middle school students should have smartphones or at least have access to social media and all that. So it's 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 a big, big problem. And of course, right, I'm not here to tolerate any bigotry, racism, you know, discrimination from my students, harassment, whatever, you know, that kind of behavior is completely and early unacceptable. And, you know, I think in my case, just you really got to put your foot down and stamp it out. It's an issue that does not belong in schools, those types of behaviors. And, you know, I will deal with them swiftly and decisively, simply put. And of course, finally, don't sacrifice your mental or physical health. It will be stressful. And um, again, I've already kind of explained some of my reasoning for why I decided to stick through it to the end of the school year. And I didn't resign mid-year. But, you know, there were times when I came kind of close. But I said, no, you know what? As much of a mental and physical toll as it was on me, I decided to stick with it, at least for the end of the year, because I felt that other people needed me, my students, my coworkers, my colleagues, they needed me, I needed them, we needed each other. So yeah, it was really important to me. And believe me, you know, by the end of the year, I was really feeling it, right? I would go home just physically exhausted all the time. I was like almost at times in physical pain, like I felt it like in my back, like it felt like, like almost like in my kidneys or something, you know, just like a, like not a sharp pain, but just a dull aching pain in my back from the stress you know, and all that, you know, the the stress was manifesting itself physically. So but anyway, yeah, I managed to make it through the year, but I definitely decided, oh, I, I cannot continue on with this. Once the school year ended, I decided to resign. So there's that. Anyway, we have been going on for uh, quite some time now. Uh, in the uh, next uh, random musings, we're going to finish off some of my thoughts on this past school year, the 2021-2022 school year, and my experience teaching middle school and talk about kind of the ultimate end result and some of the decisions that I ultimately decided to make, uh, where things might be headed in the future, and what's going to happen coming on down the road. So anyway, that's all I have to say for now. I will see everyone next time.